Hey, we're uh, in the uh, second part of a series that's leading up to Christmas Eve um, called Christmas Perspectives. And essentially what we're doing is we're going through the Christmas story. Um, we're reading some of the same text a, a few different times. But the reason that we're doing that, the reason that we're looking at it is because oftentimes when you and I read the scripture, we read it through, um, I, I don't know how to describe this, outside of kind of like a bible lens. You know, you read the Bible and it's just so bible um, the, you know, it's like all of a sudden something happens, you're like, oh God, I love you. You know, when something happens to you or me, you're like, what? You know, what just happened? Um, we read oftentimes, kind of to give you the bin translation of what I just said, um, that is to say, oftentimes when we read the scriptures, um, we don't read it through the, through the lens that this is real things happening to real people. We read it through the lens of kind of like a storybook or a character or something that you'd see on TV or reading a storybook. Not that this is actual real life events, real life circumstances happening to real people. Because in the Christmas story, in the Christmas narrative, as it's accounted for specifically in Luke, um, there is so much to it. There are so much human emotions that if you kind of, as you read the story and as you read between the lines, there are so many things that you read and that I read and that we read every day or every time they come, this time of year comes around. And we just don't see that are in the text because we, again, don't read it as real people going through real situations. So last week we talked about Joseph. And Joseph, honestly, when you talk about the, you know, the story, Joseph really doesn't get a lot of airtime because it's all about Mary and then Jesus, 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 whatever. You know? So Joseph, my man, doesn't get very much airtime when it comes to the story. But Joseph was stuck with an incredible dilemma that happened in his life. Um, Joseph had this chick... They got pregnant. And so one day, you know, you know we're going to read this, you know, angel comes to Mary. He says, you know, you're going to conceive and you're going to give you know, birth to this kid. And so at some point, she's got to go and she's got to tell Joseph, Joseph, I'm pregnant. And I know we haven't slept together yet, <laughs> but God got me pregnant. <laughs> to which Joseph would say, what all the guys in the room would say, right, right, right. And God's about to make you a single mom, you know, because, because, I mean, come on, if we're reading, if we're just reading the Bible, you know, it's like, oh, okay, of course, you know, but here's what happens. And and this is interesting. Somewhere between Mary finding out and being pregnant and her telling Joseph, as you pick the story up in Matthew chapter one, Joseph's plan is going to divorce her because apparently that conversation didn't go very well. Because if I'm talking to you or you're talking to me and, you know, you're dating the guys, you're in the dating world, maybe you're getting pretty serious, maybe you're engaged, something like that, and your fiancé comes to you and says, you know, we hadn't slept together yet, I haven't slept with anybody, but God got me pregnant. It's like, well, you know, again, God's about to make you a single mom because we're about to be divorced. And I hope God pays alimony because I'm definitely not because that's not my kid. Because the reality is, is Joseph, and this we talked about last week, Joseph was in this situation of what do I do, what do I do when life doesn't unfold how I thought it would? What do I do when life doesn't unfold how I thought it would? And again, you don't really read that when you read the Christmas story. But the thing is, and they don't have the account, but somehow or some way or at some point, Mary had the conversation with Joseph and Joseph decided to divorce her until Joseph got reintroduced to this angel and this whole plan, frankly, of God. So this week, we're going to read from Mary's perspective. We're going to read from Mary's perspective, and when, in the, the last week, we're kind of going to look at it from the nation of Israel and from God's perspective, to kind of give you the heads up for Christmas Eve. But this week specifically, we're going to talk about Mary's perspective. So if you've got, if you got your Bible, you can open up to Luke chapter 1. Um, some of the stuff that we read last week, we're going to read back over. Chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent to God, or was sent from God, to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. 
And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what, what sort of greeting this might be. And we you know, again, said this last week. If an angel visits you, let's just say you're hanging out and you're just you know, chilling, you're on your bed, you know, sitting there, and all of a sudden an angel shows up, you are probably going to need new bed sheets because that would be a terrifying experience, right? I mean, we all want God to speak to us, but I mean, come on, imagine you're sitting in your bed and God spoke. It's like, okay, God, that was terrifying. Don't ever speak again, please. That was just ridiculous, like, Ben, I'd be, you know... One, am I dreaming? Did I take something? A little too much NyQuil last night, getting over a cold. You know, what, what the heck happened? So an angel shows up to Mary. An angel shows up to Mary, and Mary is deeply troubled or doesn't really know how to interpret the whole situation. And so the angel gives her the classic response, which is don't be afraid because an angel just showed up. Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will have no end. But Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? In other words, angel, I don't know if you know this in angel land, but there's a couple you know, pre-qualifiers that, happen to have, ha- that have to happen for someone to get pregnant. You know, there's usually you know, some maybe glass of wine, you know, maybe some chocolate, you know, something like that. You know, Angel, I don't know if you know how this whole thing plays out, but there are some, you know, some things that have to happen before I can get pregnant, and I haven't, you know, partaken of those things. And so Angel replies back to her. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy. The Son of God, and behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called bare, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now, here's, here, here's where we're going today. When we read this story, when we read this story, especially because we read it, we've read the rest of the story, so we know how the whole thing plays out. We know what Mary's response is in her song is at the end of this chapter. But if you were going to actually put yourself in this situation, Mary is in a very difficult situation because the call of God on her life is going to cost her life something. The call of God on her life is going to cost her life something. Again, we know this because in chapter 1 of Matthew, as Matthew is recounting the story from Joseph's perspective, it says Joseph was going to divorce her quietly so as not to put her to public shame or to public scrutiny. Because here was what was true of their culture. For a woman to get married, or not to get married, for a woman to get pregnant out of wedlock, for a woman to have a kid outside of the confines of marriage was extremely, extremely, extremely looked down upon. And that would be an incredibly shameful thing to happen. And it would probably ruin her chances of having a future spouse. It would probably ruin her chances of somehow finding maybe the love of her life, maybe just getting attached to somebody. Almost always what this meant is that you were going to be poor, you're going to be broke because women in their culture didn't have an education. In fact, just to be honest, women in their culture didn't have much value, especially an adulterous woman. And so Mary hears this news that you are going to have a child. And this is the call of God on your life. But here's what we know. The call of God is almost always costly. The call of God is almost always costly. 
And for us, we love to think that God has an incredible call on our life, right? I mean, come on. Everybody, everybody, if, if you're in here and you're a Christian, if you're in here, you know, regardless of how long you've been a Christian, regardless of how long you've been walking with God, we all would love to be used by God in incredible ways. We would all love to look back on our life and say, oh my God, you know, there's so many people who came closer to the Lord because of the way that God used me. There's so many people who, you know, were ministered to. There's so many, you know, sick people that were healed. Maybe there were so many poor people, you know, hungry people that were fed. There were so many people who were far from God, who because of what God's done in and through me became close to God. But few of us are willing to pay the price or the cost associated with the call of God on our lives. Here's how I know that. For many of us, we pray and we pray and we pray for people. In fact, we're Christmas season right now. So maybe you're, you know, hanging out and you've got some relatives coming in town or you're going to some relatives' places and you've been praying for them and praying and praying and praying for your aunt or praying for your mom or praying for your dad or praying for your kids and just hoping and hoping and hoping and praying and praying and praying and praying and praying and say, God, you know, whatever way you want to use me, however, you know, just use me as a vessel unless I got to talk to them. Because they never take it well. And God, I want you to use me, God. I just pray. But God, if you could do that in a way that I'm comfortable with, that'd be a lot better. We say, God, use me at my work. God, I pray that you would use me in such a way, you would use me in such a way that my coworkers come to know you. But I don't want to share my faith because that's a little bit awkward. And that's a little bit weird. God, use me in a way with my friends. God, help me to be a light to my friends. But I don't want to do anything different than what they do because I don't want to stand out and be a weirdo as a Christian. And here's here's why. Just a couple examples. Because we love to think of the call of God on our life. But we hate to pay the cost to follow the call of God as Christians. And we love to think God use us. But we try to avoid and avert any type of cost associated with it. And so Mary's looking at this problem. Mary's looking at this problem. That she is about to be so incredibly blessed by this child. But the reality is, she didn't know at the time what it would cost her. She didn't know at the time that Joseph was going to divorce her. Because, I mean, come on, guys, we think of our prayer. But chicks, think, think about this. You got this guy you got this guy that you love. And in their culture, you got this guy that you're about to be dependent on for the rest of your life to support you and to sustain you. And you're going to have to tell him <laughs> that God just got you pregnant. Think about how that conversation is going to go. And so Mary says, in, these, in those days, Mary arose and went. She went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered into the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of the Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears... The baby in the womb leaped for joy, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment 
of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Now, let me just tell you how we know that Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit when this happened. What would it take for you to have your aunt come to your house and say, I'm just so lucky to have you here? You know, most of it's less like, so when are you leaving again? You know, but aunt comes over and she's like, oh my, you know, holy cow, you know, the mother of the Lord is here. And we don't know, and Mary stayed there for about three months. We don't know why exactly or if she left, it seems like, pretty quickly. We don't know if this is before she had the conversation with Joseph, if it was after that she had the conversation with Joseph. But at some point, Mary goes and she goes for about three months and stays with her, stays with Elizabeth. And I'm sure it was, you know, maybe a fun time, and you know, you, you know, chicks get, you know, it's like, I'm pregnant, I'm pregnant, I'm pregnant, you know, and you, know, <laughs> that, you guys don't actually have that conversation. Nobody says, I'm pregnant, I'm pregnant, I'm pregnant, but you know what I mean? Like, you get giggly and girly and like, oh, what colors are you going to have? What's your nursery going to look like? And sweet, mine too, we're going to have a rocker and a crib. That, that's about it, you know, so, 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 so the chicks are, you know, they're sitting there talking. At the end of this, at the end of this, at the end of this, Mary has this incredible statement. A, a statement that, again, when, when we read through it, we just think, oh, of course she had this statement. But, but for real people, for real people who are going through real situations in life, and Mary finds out that she's pregnant, is staying with Elizabeth. And maybe she's already had the conversation. Maybe she hasn't had the conversation with, 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 with Joseph. But for whatever reason, this is Mary's response. In Mary's response, Mary's response, let me just tell you. In Mary's response is the reality of the cost of the call of God on our lives. Because what Mary's essentially going to say is, God, the call that you've placed on my life, the call that you've placed on my life has so much more value than anything it would ever cost me. This is how she says it. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. In other words, Mary has the foresight to look at this thing and say, hey, this isn't just about me. This isn't just about here. This isn't just about now. This is, this is going to be something that's so impactful. This is something that's going to have so much gravity that it's going to impact generation after generation after generation. This is a big deal that God has called me and that God has invited me into. And his mercy is for those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. And he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her for about three months. And here's what Mary's realization was, again. The call of God, the call of God on Mary's life had so much more worth than anything it could have ever cost her. But oftentimes, when we look at the call of God on our lives, there are costs that we either consciously or sometimes maybe subconsciously don't want to and aren't willing to pay. But in the Bible, in the Scriptures specifically, Anyone who realizes, anyone who realizes what they get, gladly abandons everything they have to get what God has called them to and given them in his son, Jesus. Let me kind of take you through a couple of verses. Many of you guys know this. We're going to go back to Matthew. In the book of Matthew, chapter 13, there's a couple of parables that you've probably heard of. And the parables essentially both go like this. We're going to read them, but they essentially both go like this. This guy found something of great value, 
And this thing that he found of great value was so much more worth you know, than what he had that he sold everything he had to get that great value. It's a pretty simple thing, pretty simple equation here. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joys he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. So he kind of says, okay, I want you to pretend that you're, you're digging in a field. Maybe it's Christmas time and you're you know, digging in fields because you've got nothing else to do. So you just pretend like you're digging in a field. And then you're digging in a field, you find you know, this this. This, this, per, this rock, you know, you, you find something that's super valuable. Something for us, I say rock like this, like diamond. Many of us would hit something like that and be like, huh, that's interesting. I think it's a piece of glass. Throw it away, you know. But let's just say, okay, let's just say Pablo Escobar buried a bunch of money under this, like, you know, lot that's next to your house. And you just kind of happen to dig into it. And you find out that all this money, you know, is, is over in this lot. And, you know, you kind of maybe have this ethical dilemma. Should I? Shouldn't I? And it's kind of weird. Should I tell somebody? But for you to decide... That all of the money that, that, that's buried in that lot, all of the value that's buried in that lot is maybe worth millions, let's, let's say tens of millions of dollars. Just way more than what you have. And if you were to combine all of your assets, like, I mean your house, your car, if you were to cash in you know, any kind of retirement that you got, maybe you put together a couple hundred thousand dollars, and you look at it, and you say, okay, I can either buy this lot and make millions or I can keep my stuff. It's a simple equation. I mean, like, my Prius gets good gas mileage, but I could buy like 30 of them, you know, with the interest that that would spin off. I mean, none of us would look at that and say, no, I think I'm going to keep my Prius. I think I'm going to forego millions and millions and millions of dollars. By the way, if that happens to you, don't forget, you can always give at downtowncommunitychurch.com. You know, I mean, we, any and all donations. Get them in the 4th, 31st. Anyways. If we were to look at that, I mean, it's a no-brainer. It's a no-brainer because the return on what you would give, you know, get compared to what you would give is, is, is huge. It says this, this other thing. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. This guy realized, man, this thing has so much more value than what I have. And if I can acquire that, if I can acquire that, I would give anything and everything for that. And this is the response of everyone who realizes that they get God and they get to be called in to be a participant of the kingdom of God, that they would give anything and everything. In fact, if you go back over to Luke chapter 19, you get this story of a a fellow who you probably heard of named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a guy who just happened to be a tax collector. And he says, he entered into Jericho and was passing through, he being Jesus. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. And he was a chief tax collector and was rich. Now, the reason he throws that that and was rich part isn't because, you know, being rich is bad. It's because he was a tax collector and he was a really good tax collector. And tax collectors was essentially, you know, use their position, use their authority to, you know, to be shady essentially and, and, and amass tons of personal wealth. And so he says, basically, Zacchaeus was good at it. Zacchaeus had probably used a lot of his leverage and a lot of his authority to become a really, really rich guy. And so as Jesus was walking through, there was a man named Zacchaeus. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. So he... 
being Zacchaeus, hurried and came down and received him joyfully. So Zacchaeus essentially sees Jesus. Says, I'm trying to figure out who this fellow is. Sees Jesus, and Jesus looks at Zacchaeus up in this tree, which must have been a little interesting thing. It's just like this little guy that maybe crawled up in a tree. So I want you to picture Rob G. in a tree right now. You know, you know Rob G. He's not here, so I can say that about him. So, you know, Rob G's kind of sitting there hanging from a tree. You know, Jesus looks and says, Rob, I want to go to your house today. You know, and he says, like, what? You know, so he, he drops out of the tree, and, and he runs, and he goes, and, you know, he, he starts talking. But naturally, people are going to talk, and people say stuff, and people see Zacchaeus. And say, well, hold on, hold on, hold on. You're the son of God. You're a very holy. You're a very moral person. You know, it seems like at least you are. And Zacchaeus, I mean, he's, I mean, come on, socially, He's the worst of the worst. He's the lowest of the low. I mean, nobody likes the tax collectors. They had their own sub-tax or sub-bracket on their kind of like their, their moral totem pole for the tax collectors because they were notoriously the worst of the worst. And they looked at them and said, Jesus, that's ridiculous. He's a tax collector. This is their response. And when they saw it being the crowd, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be a guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, now this is interesting, because Jesus didn't ever call it of Zacchaeus. Jesus never said, okay, Zacchaeus, they're right. Zacchaeus, you got to sell everything. Zacchaeus, you got to give money back. Zacchaeus just heard some other people saying some stuff. And inside of Zacchaeus, there was something. There was something so enamored by the person of Jesus that Zacchaeus said, I'll give away everything. I'll give away, come on, come on. This doesn't matter. This money stuff doesn't matter. Because I get to have Jesus. I get to dine with Jesus. I get to spend time with Jesus. So Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also was the son of Abraham. For the son of man came came to seek and save the lost. In other words, He says, Zacchaeus, you get it. You get it. You understand what perhaps the entire nation of Israel doesn't understand. You understand that you would be willing to give up anything and everything to find or to gain what you found. And Mary went through this same predicament. And you and I go through this exact same predicament. And here's what's interesting. For many of us who are Christians and have been a Christian for a while, as I'm going through that, you know. You know the story. When I started talking about the parable in Matthew, you knew which parable I was talking about. You knew the pearl. You knew the hidden treasure. When I started talking about Zacchaeus, I mean, come on, let's be honest. You knew where I was going before I even got to the end of the Zacchaeus part. You knew Zacchaeus' response. But for many of us, we know the principle of giving up everything because what you get has so much more value. But knowing the principle does not mean that we've actually given it up. So let me ask this. Christians, what haven't you given up? What haven't you sold? What is it that perhaps for you You've never given up. What is it for you that for you maybe, and if you're like me, this is kind of how my life goes. 
90% of stuff in life, easy. 10%, extraordinarily difficult. 90% easy, I can give away stuff, I can give away material, you know, and maybe for you it's you can give away material stuff, you can give away, you know, relationships, you can surrender to God, but you've got this wishes, hopes, and dreams, and aspirations. Maybe for you it's you can give away 90% of this stuff, but there's a couple things materially in your life that you just have to have. Maybe for you there's, you know, some awkwardness that you're just not willing to go through, some boldness that you're just not willing to go out on a limb on because of what it might cost you, socially, relationally. But come on. What is it for you as a Christian that perhaps you've never sold? And you've sold everything else. Maybe you've sold 95%. But you kept that 5% hidden away. Or maybe at one point, this is, this is many of us, you gave it all away. You said, God, anything, anywhere, anything, anywhere. My life is a blank check. My life is a God just, you know, you name it, you write it, you sign the day, you sign the, I mean, God, just wherever, whenever. And then maybe over the semester, maybe over the years, maybe over the months, maybe the days or the weeks, you slowly took it back. I said, you know, maybe didn't make a conscious decision. But the reality is, there's stuff that you're holding on to that you don't want to give up. Because we know the cost. We know the cost. But for many of us, we don't see the reward in the call. (laughs) And everybody who sees this, everyone who, who looks at the kingdom of God, and sees what they get in God, gladly, gladly, gladly gives up everything that they have because it has so much more worth. I'll end with this uh, kind of last story slash illustration. It's a good friend of mine. He talks about when he was young, he had a couple of younger sisters. And um, as a good brother, he would do everything he could to try to you know, deceive his younger sisters. Um, his younger sisters had money, and so... Uh, you know, his younger sisters, maybe they, they have like a dollar bill, you know, because you know, a couple of decades ago, that was a big deal when you're like five. Now it's like, well, where's my iPhone? Okay, you're six, stop. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, maybe a dollar, maybe five bucks if, you know, the tooth fairy came and you're, you know, affluent and, you know, maybe something like that. And so, you know, a sister, you know, would have like a dollar and or five bucks. And so he would have these like coins, you know, like a couple pennies and like a nickel and a dime, maybe a quarter, you know, something like that. But he'd have, you know, these, these, these change in his hand. And his sister would have, you know, the money, and she was young and didn't know what was going on. And so he would look at her and say, hey, I'll tell you what, why don't we trade? Why don't we trade? And she, at first she'd be like, no, I don't want to trade, you know, just because, you know, out of sibling rivalry. Like, you want what I have, I'm not going to give you. He'd say, no, 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 come on. Look at all these shiny coins that I have. Look at me, come on. There's, there's, there's one that's kind of a brass color or a gold color because you know, kids don't understand brass. You know, and there's, look at how shiny it is. I got like seven of them. You can't even count the seven, but I got seven of them. Trust me. And maybe his, all of his coins put together, 30 cents, 40 cents, 50 cents. She had a dollar. She had five dollars. And he said he would be able to talk her into trading the dollar, trading the five bucks for the change. And that's what I feel like happens all the time. That we don't realize what we're giving away. We don't realize 
how much we get. And many of us spend our lives trading away this incredible value because this thing right in front of us is shiny and looks attractive. And so let me just ask this question one more time. What is it in your life, what is it in your life that you've never given away? What is it in your life that perhaps you gave away and you've taken back? And for anybody in here, even you're not a Christian, trying to investigate this whole faith, Christianity, Jesus thing, I mean, come on. Isn't this what you don't like about Christians anyways? Isn't this what drives you nuts about Christians anyways? A bunch of people who claim this belief about God, a bunch of people who claim to want to be like and live like and look like Jesus, but then in the real world look like and act nothing like him? Here's what's interesting. If that's your frustration with Christians, if that's your hold up to Christianity, you and God have the same frustration. That's, that's interesting, isn't it? You actually feel what God feels and think what God thinks. And you've identified the same problem that the scriptures speak to. Because anyone who gets this, anyone who gets this, anyone who realizes the invitation that they've been called to in the worth that they have in Jesus, gladly give up everything to get the one they've found. And here's how we're going to end this whole thing. We're going to take communion together. And here's the, here's, here's the beautiful part about ending communion at the end of this sermon. The reality is, the invitation that God has given is to give up what little we have to gain this massive amount. But God in his son Jesus gave up this massive amount when he humbled himself and came to the earth. And to give up everything on the cross. To die for a sinful, rebellious, just haphazard people. God would be willing to give up and to bear on the cross all of our sin, all of our shame, and all of our guilt just to get us. Who we feel like we have a lot of value, but compared to God have so little value. And in that gave us an invitation to do the opposite, to give up our little value to gain him. And so when you come up and you take communion, when you come up and you take a little piece of the bread and tear it off and dip it in the cup, and you go back to your seat and you eat it. Here's what I want you to know. That you serve a God, and I serve a God, and we serve a God who didn't look at this and said, give up everything. Give up everything, give up everything, give up everything. God said, essentially, I'm going to send my son and give up everything so that you can gain everything in me. And so before you take communion, we're going to have a little song that's going to play. And as you're about to come up, we, just, we don't do it by rows. You just kind of come up as you want to. Here's what I want you to do. I don't want you to come up until you're ready to say, God, I'll give you everything. God, there's this 10% that I've been holding on to. God, there's this 5% that I gave you one point, but I've taken back. But God, you are so much more worth. You have so much more worth. The call that you've placed on my life is of so much more value than anything I could ever gain 
outside of you. So God, I have my wishes. I have my hopes. I have my dreams. I have my aspirations. I have my relationships. But it's a blank check. And I'll gladly pay the cost for what I get in return. Let's pray together.